Welcome to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. This is Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with Jason Wood. Jason has spent the last 15 years in senior IT leadership roles within healthcare, academic medicine, and biotechnology clinical research organizations. He currently holds the role of CIO for the Everett Clinic at DeVita Medical Group. This role allows him to pursue his passion of improving the healthcare system by focusing on the transition to value. Prior to joining DeVita, Mr. Wood held the role of CIO for Broadpath Healthcare Incorporated, where he built out their provider-focused consulting practice. Before Broadpath, he held dual roles as CIO of the Benaroya Research Institute at Virginia Mason and Executive Director IT of the Immune Tolerance Network. Jason earned a BA in Business Administration, MIS, from Washington State University an MS in Information Systems Management at Seattle Pacific University, and an MBA Healthcare from the University of Arizona. In addition to his academic training, his certifications include CHCIO, CPHIMS, PMP, and ITIL V3 Foundation. Jason, good morning. Thanks for being on the show with us today. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, as long as we've been hosting the Hymns SoCal podcast, it's fantastic to be able to connect with colleagues throughout the field. And you recently wrote a blog about digital health checkup for the Washington region of your national organization. What prompted you to choose the topic? Well, Sarah, there were a number of things. Obviously, digital health is huge in the industry right now. But really what drove me to do it was my own experience with engaging healthcare in the new region that I was working in. So I relocated, moved up from Vegas to Washington, and had a very busy first couple months. So in these types of roles, you're starting off, there's a lot going on, uh, not easy to leave work for various appointments and things when you start off. Well, I needed to establish primary care, start to engage in, in the healthcare uh, community relatively soon after I, I started my role. So I did what most folks do. You have a couple ways to do it. So you can go look at Yelp and Google and try to find all the providers in the region and then hope the person you find is someone you're eligible with. Or I think the more common route is to uh, look at your insurance card, log onto the portal, and start to figure out who am I eligible to see, and then start shopping from there. So I chose that path, uh, got on there, and quickly realized they've they've got two pathways. So you can go the traditional route, which is here are all the providers, here are the provider organizations, start to search and go find a provider on that side that you want to see. And then from there, it's the whole scheduling fiasco. So when, what does their access look like? Am I going to get in in one week, two weeks, four weeks? And then does their access match with my access? So can I leave work during the middle of the day, go sit in a waiting room, wait to be seen, and then do that all over again for every visit? So I was looking at that route. And then the other side, the other pathway that the insurers are offering is saying you can do that or click on this button right here and within five minutes be face-to-face with our board-certified physicians. And so when I say our, it's not our medical group, the group I work with, it's the insurance company's board-certified physicians. So for me, I'm, I'm impatient. I don't like to 
leave work, go sit in waiting rooms, wait three weeks for an appointment. I like quick, easy, digital. So I started going that route. There have been a couple of other occasions where I've gone to the competitor because they had a technology that allowed me to, in a low friction environment, engage care. Uh, one example is they have a the walk-in clinic. I needed to take my son in. I was able to get in digital in the line digitally for the walk-in clinic down the road, which is a competitor to us. Where our walk-in clinics, I would have had to wait to see. So those things really got me thinking about how our business is turning away people like me in a very high-tech region, and I wanted to really drive change across organization by writing that blog. So when you brought your findings to your executive board meeting and said, you know, hey, by the way, I've transferred up here. It's a pretty tech savvy environment and I needed to find a doctor. And by the way, I could get online and see one in five minutes versus perhaps waiting five days to see one of ours. How was it received when there was that moment of, we've got to mature ourselves pretty quickly in this space and here's what it's going to take to do it. Very well received. So I I presented these findings and and a couple other things to our clinical leadership board, which is is really our our steering board here in the region. And I was pretty blunt. I said, you're not, we're not only five years behind our competition. We're getting cut right out of the market. So if, and I describe those pathways. So if a patient is going to choose the go search and find a doc, a doctor pathway, well, we're out competing against folks that are already doing a lot of these digital health solutions we're not doing. But worse than that, we're getting cut. Many of these patients are logging on and never even going past the payer. So we're getting undercut by the payer. They, that really resonated and again, I was blunt in saying there, I, I've engaged healthcare a number of times up leading up to that meeting. And I've chosen, I've personally chosen our competitor every time, which for me as the CIO of this organization and the fact that I chose them based on technology, because I know we're extremely high quality. Uh, that was, it, it was rather embarrassing for me to say, having, having been there and had the ability to affect change already. But um, yeah, I think that resonated. So what's great about that approach that you took with them is you say, you know, hey, I'm the CIO and I chose our competitor due to convenience and technology over the quality aspect. When you start to think about, you knew how to come in and connect with your clinicians, connect with your business stakeholders and say, these are the gaps, this is what we have to do. And they're like, yes, go act upon it. We talk to our peers all the time that don't necessarily either know exactly where to start or they have a hard time convincing their leadership that this is the right thing to do. What advice would you give them in recognizing the gaps and having the ability to effectively act upon them? Yeah, I'd say the big one is don't lose credibility by bringing in a bunch of solutions by vendors that are marketing to you that aren't top of mind to them. So you've got to start with just a deep understanding of what is this, your clinical leadership, your business leadership, what are they trying to achieve and what are they laser focused on for that period of time? And then start to bring in 
solutions or little things they can nibble on to to see a path to actually deploying some of these things. So if you start talking about artificial intelligence and big data and all these tools that that they can't see that what's what does an implementation look like to solve the problem that I'm I'm very focused on solving today and I can't then they're just they're going to hear it maybe they'll think it's interesting and then move on to the operational issues that they have to deal with today which is why we often you hear people talk about all these futuristic technologies and then they don't necessarily act upon them because it's that operational implementation piece that's hard to follow. How do you keep your organization focused on deliverables that can make the most significant impact when there are shiny, distracting objects? Yeah, so it's the opposite of the things we're talking about today. So the, the sexy technologies, the digital health, all, all these solutions... I start on the other side uh, and and focus in on governance, which nobody really likes to talk about, and it's not all that exciting. But that was one of the very first things we did in the Washington region when I joined was to collect. We actually had many spreadsheets and lists of of all the hundreds of projects that people thought we were working on. Well, we collected all of these put them up on a SharePoint list where everyone could see, and then took that list and had the C-suite sit down and painstakingly get rid of almost 80% of those projects. And so like these, you thought we might've been working on them, we're not, uh, we don't have the capacity to. So we got that list pared down significantly and then established a program called Shark Tank um, my wife does a bunch of graphic design kind of just for fun on the side. So she actually photoshopped our C-suite, their faces on the the show's logo of Shark Tank. And we presented that at a board meeting as the opening slide and then laid out a process whereby projects, new initiatives, shiny objects, those all got pitched to that same group that went through and painstakingly got rid of all the other projects that weren't active. And if something can get through that group, they have to look at that against the wall of work that's up there today and decide whether this new shiny object or this new project is going to add more value than what's up there today. And if it does, then we now have the ability to quickly execute on that because we're not doing 150 things. We're doing 15, 20 things. That's made all the difference in the world. And that's allowed us to stand up a bunch of new technologies this year that we hadn't been able to do in a number of years. In your new environment, you're working with a a high-functioning executive team, and it's easier, I believe, to get buy-in and alignment on some of the initiatives that you need to happen. But in your past, you've worked with highly, you know, uh, disparate executive teams who don't necessarily connect and share the same visions and and always agree on what needs to happen next. How do you reconcile, you know, those two environments having worked in a space where nobody made a decision and talked to each other and now everybody is talking to each other and make a decision. Tell us a little bit about those experiences and the things that you learn from both of those environments. Sure. Yeah, I, I worked in a group years ago where 
it was almost it was a group but essentially it was a a bunch of disparate groups that come together almost to create a managed service organization and some shared capabilities that type of situation it was difficult to to get movement on, on some of these big initiatives so if you're talking about deploying telemedicine which affects operations and billing and legal and just all of these groups when when you're not cohesive as an organization it does create an extra level of difficulty in deploying some of these things it, at the Everett Clinic in Washington we meet many times a week we have huddles we actually have every Friday we just get together and talk through our top two at, in that environment when you go through that that cadence over weeks and months you have a you have strong relationships with those folks and you have a deep understanding of what's important to each one of them that is a huge advantage in being able to execute on these projects or bring in new ideas when i can talk to our cmo and i understand that her number one priority is physician burnout or clinician burnout really i, I can then talk to her in that context of how this new innovative solution is going to help her in that issue i know one of our other executives they're highly focused on upping the accuracy of our risk coding I can, if we, there's a, a solution out there on the market that's I'm getting pitched for for that, I can engage that person on that level. So that, that's made a huge difference. You bring up physician burnout, which as part of the quadruple aim remains a high talking point across most organizations. All digital health solutions typically have a level of physician workflow, adaptation, implementation, optimization, you name it. What does the partnership look like with your physicians in making investments in digital health solutions? Yeah, it's a tight one and it has to be. Uh, One of the things, another one of the things we did pretty early on uh, when I started at the Washington region is we established the CISC. This is the Clinical Information Steering Committee. That's co-chaired by myself and the chief of neurology, Dr. Chan. And we have a representative group of respected clinicians from across the organization. And that group is really um, a group that we can take ideas to that requests changes that are coming down through Epic and, and other digital health platforms that might affect workflow to get that initial guidance of kind of get your finger on the pulse of how these changes might might be received. And then if, if that group sees significant opportunity, you then have champions to go take this out and discuss it at our huddles and their department meetings to start to talk about some of these upcoming changes. The, the one that's top of mind um, just lately is something that seems pretty simple. We today have a 500 character limit on our messages that can come in through my chart. This is our Epic uh, portal. Well, that seems like a pretty simple one. The call centers are getting hit significantly with complaints that, that that's too short to relay their message. Well, 
being in IT, we hear these complaints. We take this to the CISC and say, uh, this seems like a no-brainer. We want to, we're focused on patient engagement, uh, patient satisfaction. But what this group is able to really provide feedback to us is that they immediately said, well, that's by shifting that up to the what the standard is in many organizations of 5,000 characters, it's going to contribute to clinician burnout. And we don't have the right process in place today to route those messages to the appropriate uh, top of licensure group. So it's just been a fantastic group to identify where we have opportunities and and help us to roll out some of these solutions. I love the approach because typically you hear about shared decision-making really in clinical decisions. However, it sounds like when you're able to involve your call center all the way through to your clinician committee, you're having shared decision-making and how technology is going to affect the organization. Uh, For sure. Yeah, it's a very cohesive group. We're, We're fairly large. We have about 600 employed clinicians, another 1,300 independents. But even as we continue to grow, I, I see it being a, a tight-knit culture here. One of the things that's unique about your environment it is is a standalone medical group. It has, obviously, a lot of IPA affiliation and, and connections with hospitals, but your organization is not a brick-and-mortar hospital organization. It is truly a medical and specialty group uh, organization. So when you think about how to bring in digital health technologies and different strategies, knowing that you have to have these tight partnerships with your hospitals. What does that look like? Yeah, it's sometimes a tight partnership. It's sometimes adversarial, not organization to organization, but how I see it in, in potentially our business models. So we're looking at deploying technologies or, or engaging with a state HIE or actually a, a thing we're working on right now is to get access to the state admit registry, which helps us to identify when patients are showing up at the hospitals and then when appropriately uh, get them out of there as quick as possible or, or I think more uh, appropriately said, get them the right level of care at the right site of service. So it, it does factor in as we look at some of these solutions, just um, that, that we're, not, we're not in this just by ourselves. There are other parties out there, ho- hospitals that we partner closely with on some initiatives are potentially um, negative stakeholders in others. And so it's just a, a dance that we have to, to go through, especially as, as we look to move more of our contracts over to, to full risk. Which is really the place to be today, working in medical groups that have these tight partnerships that are rapidly growing and creating new dynamics for contracting, for reimbursement, for rates that get set with hospitals. It's an exciting place to be. The thing about it is when you think about bringing in digital solutions to the organization and for your patients, what besides telemedicine have you been able to bring to life in your org and that partnership with both medical groups and the hospitals, knowing that you may have competing strategies in this space, what has really brought the most value in the things you've implemented in addition to telehealth? 
Yeah, I don't know that they've overlapped as much with some of our partnerships with the hospitals. We haven't been able to extend them out that far yet, but I'll give a couple examples. So one, I mentioned earlier, I'm a technologist. I'm inpatient. I when I go get my haircut, I go to a, a chain that has a little app that I can log in ahead of time and get in line. And when I get there, I just walk right into the chair. Well, we deployed a similar technology to that called Clockwise, which allows our patients to do the same thing for our walk-in clinics. Uh, that's been one a, a solution that's been a huge patient satisfier and it's increased our volume at the walk-in clinics, which presumably is getting folks at the right site of service for, for certain types of visits. So the more we can do in ambulatory surgery centers and walk-in clinics in, in those types of locations in the medical office, the more the, the appropriate visits we can do there, the more... The, the greater success we're going to have in that quadruple aim of bringing down uh, overall healthcare costs. How would you recommend partnering with vendors to create the opportunities to best fit your environment, like you've mentioned with uh, Clockwise and others? Yeah, I think it's going back to that that deep understanding of what are we trying to achieve. So really focus in on that. The, those top three, top five goals that the organization is laser focused on, and then look at vendors that have a track record of delivering versus just some of these things where you get in a, a co-launch partnership or or things that have a lot more risk to them. So if you can find vendors that, that have been able to deliver and then co-create solutions for your your most acute problems at the organization, I think that's a good recipe for success. One of the examples we I mentioned risk coding. That's one of that's in our top three this year. We really need to shore up the accuracy of our coding, and this is fundamental to our transformation to value. Well, we partnered up with a group that's under Optum that actually layers software on top of Epic and goes through and mines the, the chart for risk coding opportunities for the providers. And then it actually, in a very slick workflow, uh, helps them to get those documented, which goes back to right, helping our CMO or, or touching on her top goal of clinician burnout. So as we shift into value, but we have one foot in each canoe, you know, these providers are going fee-for-service, 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 then you drop in a a risk patient right in the middle of that and then go back to fee-for-service. It's very difficult for them to to do all the things required for capitated patients. When we can deploy technologies that check a couple of those boxes, that's when we feel like we've had a successful partnership with, with a vendor looking to help. Well, and I love that in your blog you mentioned that you know, part of that impetus for writing it was, you know, maybe I'm not as far behind in digital technologies as I thought I was compared to some of the uh, articles I've been recently reading out there. And yet, you know, we have peer groups who are like, 
I'm not really sure how to get my toes completely in the water on some of these components. You mentioned aligning with the you know top three to five items and having a really succinct way of picking what's most important. What approach do you recommend to CIOs or other healthcare professionals out there that are so worried about bringing AI, precision medicine, predictive analytics to the table when really it may be something that's uh, more basic in its initial approach, such as being able to pull the risk factors into an elegant workflow or simply go and queue up yourself in the line for the urgent care? Yeah, my advice there would be solve for the basics first. So go through and look at what are we not doing today that's pretty common practice out there. Uh, kind of, a, I, I'm not real fan of, the, or not a huge fan of the term low hanging fruit because it's just overused. But uh, looking at those things where uh, if if our patients can't get in and schedule online, but the the local barber barbershop chain can do this then we need to look at that one if if we haven't done some basics around self-scheduling or some of these easy solutions that can improve the customer experience then i'd recommend starting with some of those things yeah and with consumerism and customer experience being one of the areas of greatest risk for cherry picking how do you stay in front of that conversation yeah, definitely understand what's out there. What are the competitors? What types of solutions are they using? And how would they be using them to cherry pick the patients that we're going to need to grow on into the future? So it's terrific that we have our patient population today. But if they're out cherry picking, especially cherry picking uh, healthy lives that might be in a risk group, that creates a lot of challenges for our organization. So the, the key things are really understanding what solutions are being deployed today, not listening to all the vendor hype of what solutions are out there and possible, uh, not ignoring that, but really focusing in on what things are the truly innovative organizations, what are they using to go out and go after those patients like me who, who don't want to wait in line, who, who aren't going to call into a call center, and then either deploy technologies that 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 flank them or at least start to focus on those areas where it's hard to do business with us and and seek to solve those key issues that that'll help to keep certain organizations from from pulling patients away so Jason, you are active out there as a member of Chime, as a member of HIMS. You're blogging, you're really becoming more and more of an expert in so many of the different spaces that need to happen when marrying technology with the experiences in our organizations. Um, how can our listeners find you most easily? Find me most easily. I think uh, LinkedIn's definitely a, a great way to connect. And then some of the, the organizations that you mentioned. So definitely active in Chime, HIMSS, attend a number of community events and things like that. So those, those types of events, I've slowed down. I was doing some speaking engagements across the country on various topics. It's just been a crazy first year uh, up in Washington. So I've slowed down that a bit. 
but definitely those organizations. I just had an opportunity to go out to the Chime boot camp recently and connected with some wonderful folks during the several day event there. Uh, Jason, any final thoughts for our listeners on how to create you know, a digital checkup and understand the health of your organization? Yeah, I think it's important to do two things. It's important to get a, a survey or understand the landscape of your competitors. So what are others doing in the digital health space in the community where your patients live? So what are their options? If they can go to the local Bartels and get these minute clinic style service very quickly, they can use digital solutions to engage, uh, whether it be waiting in line or telemedicine. They need to understand what they're offering, what the local hospitals are offering, what are your insurance companies offering? So if you don't understand that your insurance companies are undercutting your business by offering provider services through telemedicine at the point of initial engagement, then you're you're behind and and understand what the what the competitors are offering. The second piece is really be aware of the transformation that's going on with some of the new entrants out there, where groups are standing up solutions where maybe they're very focused in certain patient populations. So concierge medicine or these groups that are taking care of really just the highest acuity patients out there and then coming with a full suite of technologies. We got to understand those two different models. So the existing and the incoming entrance and what they're offering. So you can start to respond to that. So, so you're not seeing this, this cherry picking going on where maybe you're, you've got a hold of your current population, but as groups continue to age in, you're not going to be able to grow or even sustain your size. Yeah, Jason, that's a fantastic wrap up and summary uh, for all the things that you're doing for the Everett Clinic and the amazing progress you've made in the first year. We appreciate you being on the show today and look forward to future conversations. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I really appreciated uh, being on. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Special thanks to Callister Harmon, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us produce our podcast series. 